Good morning, Chapel family. Well, I encourage you this morning to take your Bibles, if you would. We're in a study of the book of First Peter, which we began a couple of weeks ago. And I would love for you to have the Scripture open. I think it helps you to, to track along and to check and make sure that I get it right as I teach this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin. Father, we are so grateful, grateful for your goodness to us, your mercy that you have shown to us and, and uh, in bringing us to yourself and, and in putting us in the family of God and bringing us here together. What a, what a good thing, what a wonderful thing that we can gather in the company of brothers and sisters to be encouraged and together to honor your name and to worship you, together to come before you and, and, and hear from you as you speak to us through your word. We pray this morning that indeed you would work through your word, that your spirit would use it to impact our hearts and to change us to change our hearts and to change our lives, that Jesus would be glorified in and through us and that your work would be accomplished in, in our world. To that end, we commit ourselves and ask your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Why am I here? Why do I exist? Some of you may be thinking right now, well, Pastor, if you don't know, we can't help you. <laughs> That's one of the great philosophical questions. There's Socrates pondering that very question. Why am I here? Why am I stone? Uh, why? What is your purpose for living? Are you looking to get rich? Are you looking, living to be happy? Are you just trying to survive? What is your purpose in life? As we come here to 1 Peter, and this morning to chapter 2, we discover there are some answers here for us. As we begin in chapter 2, we come to the first verse, and the very first verse begins with the word, if you're reading in the ESV, it says, So, if you're reading a different translation, it probably says, Therefore, as we talked about last week when we came to the passage, last week it began with the word therefore. And always what that, that does, therefore or so, it's a word that sends us back. Because what it's telling us is that what is going to follow our study this morning, the passage we're looking at this morning, is leaning upon and it flows out of what has come before. And so this morning, before we dig into the passage of the first part of chapter 2, I want to take us back to chapter 1 and verse 23. And let's look back there. It says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. In short, what he says is that 
We have been saved, we've been born again through the living and the abiding, the eternal Word of God. And while the Word of God gets the most focus there, what I want to point out is a couple of little words. He's, this is the second time in this short little letter that the, that the Apostle Peter has reminded us that we have been born again. We've been born again. We've had a new birth. And in the passage that we're coming to now next, in, in chapter 2, in these first, uh, we'll look this morning at ten verses, Peter is going to tell us three purposes which God has planned and which God desires for all of us who have been reborn as His children. So in other words, now that you have a new life, why do you exist? Why are you here? What is your purpose? God is going to tell us here this morning three purposes that He has for you. Now, we come to chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. In these first verses, we discover the first purpose God has for us. As His children, as folks who have been reborn, God wants us to grow up. You know, in the physical world, all kids that I've known of want to grow up. You talk with a little kid and they, they just want to be bigger. Well, I can't wait until I'm four. I can't wait until I'm six. I can't wait until I'm eight. I can't wait until I'm sixteen. I can't wait until somewhere that changes. And we, <laughs> we get to, uh, I really could wait a long time before I become sixty-seven, you know, or whatever the next age is. We, kids want to grow, and as parents, we want our kids to grow. We can't wait till they get past diapers. We can't wait till they can fix their own breakfast. Thank you. <laughs> we can't wait till a lot of things. And, and uh, God, our Father, wants us to grow. As parents, we often do things like, I don't know if you did it in your house, but in our house we... We had the door, you know, where every so often you'd put the kid up next to the door. You know, I think you've gotten taller. And we make a mark on the door, put a little date, and you can track how their, their growth over the years. I hated when we sold that house. They had to paint over that door. I knew somebody who took the door with them. <laughs> you know. But our Father, like human parents, our Father wants us to grow. He, he wants us to, to grow and mature into all that He has called us and all that He has saved us to be. He has big plans for His children. You'll notice it says there in, in verse 2, that by it you may grow up, there it is, grow up into salvation. He wants us to grow up into our salvation. You might wonder, what does that mean? How do we grow up into our salvation? 
Does our salvation get bigger? (laughs) Do we get saved more? (laughs) What does that mean? I think the answer to that question is that He wants us to continue growing into our knowledge and into our understanding and into the realities of the wonder of the salvation which we have received in Jesus. And our salvation, as we noted a couple of weeks ago, in the Bible, our salvation is pictured, it's described in three tenses. In, in, in three tenses, meaning in terms of verbs. It's in the past, in the present, and in the future. In the past, we have been saved. At the moment we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Bible says that, that our sin has been paid for, our debt of sin has been erased that we are declared righteous in the sight of God and that we are given an inheritance. And it says that we have been, in that moment, we have been transferred from the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of the Son that He loves. We have been transferred from death unto life. We have been transferred out of darkness and into light. All of that happened at the moment we trusted Jesus Christ, which for most of us was in the past. If that still is something that hasn't happened yet, I invite you this day to put your trust in Jesus as your Savior. The Bible also describes our salvation, though, as something that's future. That we will be saved one day. When Jesus returns, that our, our, we will receive all the glories of our eternal inheritance, which has been, he mentions earlier in chapter 1 that we have received this inheritance, all of it will be finally revealed and it will be fully realized. But in the meantime, we are being saved in the present. And, And what that means, and I think that's probably the biggest emphasis of this growth that he calls us here to in this chapter, to grow up, means that we are being saved. What it means is that Little by little, bit by bit, we are being transformed, we are being made, we are being, as the Scripture says, being conformed to the likeness of His, of God's dear Son. We are being conformed to the, to the image, to the likeness of Christ in our character, in our conduct, and growing closer to Him in loving Him more. How does this growing up into salvation take place? Again, our verse here tells us. We look there in verse 2 and it says, By it, by the pure spiritual milk of God's Word, he says, you may grow up into salvation. The growth that he's looking for happens through the Word of God. We read back earlier when we looked back to chapter 1 and read those verses, we read there that we were born again, it said, through the Word of God. And he says, this was the Word that was preached to you. We heard the Word of God. We heard the Gospel. How that we are saved by placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That it's not by works that we do. It's not something we earn. It's not something that we just get out of our own goodness, out of our own worth. It is something that God gives to unworthy, lost, helpless people by His grace that we receive by trusting Jesus through faith. We were, we were born again through the Word of God. 
And now it's telling us that we grow, we continue to grow through the Word of God. It's telling us here in verse 2 that like a mother's milk is essential for the, for the growth and the thriving of a baby, so the Word of God is essential for, the, for our growth as believers in Jesus Christ. We need to feed on the Word of God. We cannot grow without it. Therefore, it says again in verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk of God's Word. God's Word is so important. It is so essential to our growth, to our thriving as believers, that it is here a command. Long for it. Crave it. It's the same word that's used, by the way, in the, in the psalm where you recall it says, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. It's that word pants. <laughs> As the deer pants for water, so my soul, it's this word. My, my soul craves, my soul pants for your word. We are to be like David who exclaimed in Psalm 119, verse 37, he said, or 97, he said, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And I wonder. See, I wonder, is, is it really? Do I really love the Word of God? Do I crave it? I wonder, you see, I've been a pastor long enough, senior pastor 15 years, in the pastorate 40 years, been a Christian since I was a little tyke. I've been around long enough to talk to enough believers and to look in the own mirror enough to say this. Many, if not most Christians, cannot say or would not say very often, yeah. I love God's Word. I crave it. I bet if we were all really 100% honest and I asked and said, let's see a show of hands. How many of us loved and craved God's Word? Even any time this week, I'm not asking for a show of hands. If you're at home, you can do that watching on TV, Okay. Because I have a feeling, if most of us are honest, we're going, well, you know, there has been a time where I've craved God's Word, but so much of the time I don't. Enough where it makes us wonder, is it really possible? Because some of you may be going, you know, I have never felt that way about God's Word. For me, it's always been, well, you know, I know I should read the Bible. Here goes. I better get a drink, something here. Let's see here. Are the kids down? Is everything okay? Okay, here we come. It's a struggle sometimes, isn't it? Is it possible really to crave God's Word? Well, it's a command here. Long for it. So it must be possible. Then it raises the question, if it's possible... How can I develop that kind of a craving, that kind of a longing for God's Word? Interesting question. Come back next week when you have the answer.
No. I think it's possible. And I think that we get some answer to that in this very text. How can I grow an appetite? I see four helps for us here. How do we grow an appetite in God's Word? Four helps here. The first one we find in verse 1. Verse 1, it said this, So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and all envy and all slander. First thing to do to grow an appetite for God's Word, put away sin. That, that word here, put away, is a word that's used for to take, like to take off clothes, or even better yet, to cast off clothes, where you're in a hurry to get these things off. It's you've been out working in the, in the backyard and you are muddy, or even more, you know, you're work, you've been working in the pigsty or out in the barn shoveling horse stuff. And you're just covered in this stuff and you come up to the house and mama says, you ain't coming in the house with those clothes. And so you're casting off these clothes and you're in a hurry to do it because they stink. He says, that's what you're to do with sin. That you want to get rid of it out of your life. Now he gives five sins here. I don't think that's a complete list that he's trying to say that these are the only ones that matter. I think it's these are the five that came to mind at the time. And maybe they are five significant ones for some reason there, but I'm just going to say these five. Look at them in your text. Malice. It's a general word for wickedness, especially involving ill will for another person, harshness, mean-spiritedness, whatever. Secondly, there is deceit. Deceit is literally it's a word for a fish hook. It was what you use, you put bait on something to, to snag a fish while it thinks it's getting a meal and instead it gets a hook. That's deceit. It's trickery. It's fooling people. It is defrauding others, looking to manipulate others, to control others with our words by not being honest. Hypocrisy, that's two-facedness. Where we don't practice what we preach, where we, you know, we act one way at church and then we act another way when we get home. We, we act one way when we're around our Christian friends and Christian people and we act like that, but when we get around our, when we get around our neighbors or our work buddies or other people, we act a different way and different things come out of our mouth. All those things. Hypocrisy. Envy, where we desire what others have and we are not content with what we do have. We envy and desire wrongly. Slander. Speaking badly about others, whether we do it behind their back or to their face. Slander. It says these things need to be out of your life or they will become appetite killers for the Word of God. You know, our mom used to say, you know, you know don't eat this, don't eat that, because it will ruin your appetite. Well, this sin will ruin your appetite for God's Word. Probably the first place to start, if you say, I don't have any appetite, I don't long for God's Word, probably the first place to start is saying, is there sin in my life that needs to go? There's an old saying about the Bible that you may have heard, and it's really true. And it's that this book, the Bible, will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. True statement. Secondly, how do we grow an appetite for the Word of God? Desire to grow. 
I think most people, and I, I really can't speak from experience, I think most people who say, I love to work out, now you know why I can't speak from experience. I think most people who say, I love to work out, don't love to work out because they think that every bit of working out is totally fun. I don't think that they, they find the, the stress and the strain and the pain of the exercise to be fun and enjoyable. I think most people who say I love to work out, it's because they love what comes along with the, work, the working out. They love the benefit of, of the, for one thing, they might love the adrenaline rush. When you work it hard and you, you go past the thing where you think, I just can't go any farther because it hurts so badly, and the adrenaline kicks in and you get that rush, and they like that. Or they just like the benefits of, the health benefits. They, they have more stamina. They have more strength. They have more agility because they work out. They like looking better. And they like feeling better. And because they like the things that come along with working out, they like the camaraderie of going to the gym and working out with other people. Because they like all these things, it makes the working out enjoyable. May I say we can take that same principle and bring it to the Word of God. If... I may say, I don't really have an appetite for the Word of God. I don't long for the Word of God. But if we will say, you know what? What I do want is I want to grow up. I don't want to be a baby Christian. I don't want to keep falling into this sin. I don't want to keep struggling with this problem. I I want to be a person who has wisdom. I want to teach. I want the benefits that are promised in the Word of God to those who will dig into and study and apply the Word of God. The reality is that digging into the Word of God, reading the Word of God, studying the Word of God, wrestling with challenging passages, memorizing the Word of God, those things aren't always fun and they aren't always easy. But it promises, Psalm 19, verse Seven, it promises to give vitality to our soul. It promises to make the simple person wise. It promises in Psalm 119, verse 9 and verse 11, to help us to be pure and to keep us from sin. It promises in 2 Timothy chapter 3 to equip us for every good work. It promises us in Psalm 1. The one who, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, it says they will prosper in all they do. It's not saying you'll get rich. What it's saying is you have a life that's valuable. A life that means something. A life that's rich. You see, there are great promises. And if we say, I want to grow into those things, and I long for the benefits of it, what that will do, we long for to grow, it will help create in us a desire to sometimes do the hard work and the challenge, the difficulty of I have to set aside time and I have to read some things that I don't really understand and have to try to work at understanding. And it becomes sweeter and sweeter and sweeter as the time goes by, even as physical exercise becomes easier and more enjoyable the more you go through the process and you see more of the benefits accruing. Desire to grow. 
Thirdly, if indeed, it says in verse 3, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Another thing that will help us to grow an appetite is remember God's goodness. The more that we will recall and the more that we will focus upon and think about God's blessings in our life, the goodness of His working in our life, the more that we will desire to draw close to Him and to have Him work more in our life, which will drive us more into the Word of God, because that's how that happens. So the more we'll desire His Word. I believe one of the great appetite killers for the Word of God is indifference and ingratitude where we are not grateful and thankful for God's blessings and we are just indifferent to them. We just go on don't even notice. A thankful heart will create, help create an appetite for the Word of God. Lastly, look at verse 4. I didn't read this, but it fits into this as well as ties into the next section. Verse 4. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. As you come, for all you grammar buffs and literary buffs out there, as you come, the word come is a present participle, which means it is something that happens now that has ongoing stuff in the future and would be translated this coming or as you are coming to him, to Jesus, or we even translate it this way, as you keep coming to Jesus. See, when we first read this, as, as you come to Him, we think that, you know, it's talking about salvation. But you don't keep coming to Jesus for salvation. You came to Him, put your faith and trust in Him, you are saved. But this is saying, as you keep coming, why do we do that? There's a continual coming to Jesus. A few of us in this room are old enough to remember back to the 1970s. 1975, I remember it was such a special year, because it was in that year that a man named Gary Dahl began marketing Pet Rocks. A fad that took off like wildfire. He made millions of dollars while people got an expensive paperweight that they could have gotten by going out in their backyard or down the street to the little creek to get a little rock. How silly! How foolish! I think it's a metaphor for our world. You can't have a relationship with a rock. And isn't that kind of the point of a pet? Do you have a dog that meets you at the door? <laughs> When everybody else all, week, all day has been, you know, you, and, and there's the dog, <laughs> somebody loves me, you know. That's why we like dogs and cats and pets, is it's somebody to talk to and there's nobody there. There's a relationship, at least as much as you can have with a pet. Now, why do I go into that? Because he says this, as you keep coming to him, who is him? A living stone. You can't have a relationship with a rock. And Jesus is the rock. All through the Scripture, there's a metaphor that is used where God is depicted as a rock. 
And Jesus is the rock. He is, as it will call later in the text here, he will say he is the cornerstone, the foundation to build our life upon. But he is not just a rock. He is the living stone. Because he is alive, the point is you can have a relationship with him. And Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. That is the wonder and marvel of all. I don't know why Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. (laughs) And I certainly don't know why he wants to have a relationship with me. But he does. We are to keep coming to Jesus to have relationship with him. And it's in God's word that we get to know him. We get to know who he is and what he's like. It's in God's Word that we hear from Him what He wants us to know. The Christian life is not about rituals. It is not about simply learning ancient truths and we're going to put the Word of God to memory because it is the Word of God and we're just going to increase our knowledge and have all this stuff that we can spout out. That's not the point. The point of the Word of God is so we can get to know God. Remember, we were born again through the Word of God. And it's through the Word of God that we grow in Him. And so, the Christian life, the heart of the Christian life, isn't following rules and doing religions. It's getting to know and to love the God who loves us so much that Jesus died. To make the way so that we can have a relationship with Him. That is the great purpose and the great aim and the great joy of growing up spiritually is to have a relationship with Him. And so desire to know Jesus because if you desire to know Jesus, you're going to desire to get into His Word because that's where you'll get to know Him. As the Apostle Paul said, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's, that's worth everything. Nothing else, no, no possessions, no achievements, no accomplishments, nothing else is worth anything compared to knowing Jesus. How do you grow an appetite? Put away sin. Desire to grow. Remember God's goodness and desire to know Jesus. Say, Pastor, you said we had three purposes here. We've only covered one. Uh, Not to worry. I'm three-fifths of the way through the notes, and I'm going to keep trying to talk fast. The rest shouldn't take nearly so long. Next verses, and we'll get to the next point. What does God desire for us? What is His purpose for us? As you come to Him, back to verse 4, as you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him... Jesus will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for you who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. A stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. 
There's three or four sermons there. I'm just going to cut it down to one big point this morning. What is God's purpose for us here? God desires for us to grow together. He says here that Jesus is the living stone, but through Jesus, we also now, we are living stones. And as living stones, Jesus, as he says back in Matthew, Jesus says, I will build my church. And he is building a church. We've often heard it said, the church is not a building. The church is the people. And that is true. No building, no physical building here is the church of God. It is the people who make up the church. Every believer in Jesus Christ is part of the church. But Jesus Christ is building the people into a building. Not a physical building, a spiritual house, it says here. That's significant. What we learn from that, by the way, is that the Christian walk is not an individualistic endeavor. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you are put into the body of Christ, the church. We are connected. We are integrally connected to one another because we've been born again. We are all important. We are all needed. Just like the bricks that hold up your your house, you would say, are rather important. And you don't want to go playing Jenga with your house. How many bricks can I pull out before it falls? Everyone is important. We need, and these believers needed to hear that because you recall, they were scattered in these five provinces on the run, living as aliens and strangers and misfits because of their faith in Christ. They needed to hear that they belonged. They were, they were important in the body. Because of that, we need to get along. As we learned at the end of chapter 1 last week, it says that we need to love one another earnestly. We need to work together toward our purpose. And here we get to that. What is our purpose? Notice he says we've been built together into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Brother and sister, if you're sitting next to a believer in Jesus Christ, you're sitting next to a priest. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a priest. It is not like in the Old Testament times where there was a portion of a tribe. You had to be in a bloodline to be of Levi, the bloodline of Aaron, to be a priest. And only the priest could communicate directly with God. The people had to go through the priest to talk to God. God spoke to the priest to speak to the people. And only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies there once a year to stand in the presence of of the Shekinah glory of God, things changed. Jesus came. Hebrews says that Jesus Christ is our high priest. And He has gone and He has offered Himself once for all as the the one-time sacrifice for sin. So priests aren't needed to offer sacrifices anymore because Jesus did it. And priests aren't needed to go before God anymore because as 1 Timothy 4 says, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And because of Jesus, you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, can go directly to the presence of God to pray and to speak to God through Jesus Christ. Awesome. We, every one of us, are a holy priesthood. But the purpose of our priesthood is what? 
What does he desire? Does he want us to go buy robes and, and wear little signs? He'll say priest. And, and we, is that what he wants us to do? No, he tells us right here. What's our purpose? A holy priesthood for what purpose? To offer spiritual sacrifices. How do we offer spiritual sacrifices? Do you go start rounding up the neighborhood animals? Build a little altar out back? No. They're spiritual sacrifices, not physical ones. Remember, Jesus is the one sacrifice for all time that was needed to finally pay the penalty of sin. They're spiritual sacrifices. Well, what do those look like? Well, we don't have time to get in very deep. I'll just read two verses. Two verses that will give you a pretty good idea of what it means to offer for you and I as priests to offer sacrifices to God. Two verses. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. Through Him, through Jesus, let us then continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. How do we offer spiritual sacrifices? Praise God! Our lips, okay? We sing, we speak. We praise God with our lips. It's what we do here on Sunday morning, but it shouldn't just be Sunday morning. It should be throughout our day, all day long, every day. You're driving down the road, there's a light, you're, you're in a hurry, and there's a stoplight, it's a red light, and suddenly it turns green. You go, thank you, Lord, I, I, I'm running late. Thank you, that's a blessing. That little thing, as well as the big things, continually offering praise to God for His goodness, His greatness, His kindness, His many gifts. Okay? What else? He goes on. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So, do good. Good works we do. Those good things, those are pleasing to God. They're sacrifices. Sharing out of the abundance that we have and giving it to those in need and investing in the work of God. Those things are spiritual sacrifices that please Him. One more verse that will give us another idea. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. A living sacrifice. What is a living sacrifice? What it simply means is this. Live your life as a sacrifice to God. In other words, I wake up this morning, I say, God, I want to live as a sacrifice to you. May everything I do in this day honor you. He's not saying that you need to go join a nunnery or you need to go hang out in a monastery to be a living sacrifice. What he says is, go to work. You know, Go drive to your job. And on the way... Honor God in the way you drive. Ooh, that was hard. Now you get to work. Oh, no. And it gets harder. You have to honor your boss. And honor God by the way you honor your boss. And honor God by the way you work. You go to school and you have to honor God by the way you treat your teacher. And by the way you treat that mm, next to who sits next to you in your class. And by the way that you study. By the way that you learn. And you honor God by the way that you do your laundry. 
You honor God as you as you iron and as you mow the grass. And whatever it is you do in your day, whatever it is you do in your life, you live it as a living sacrifice to God, saying, God, I want my life to bring you praise. I want my life to bring you honor. So when people look at me, they see your goodness and they see your greatness and they see your mercy. That's a living sacrifice. Everything you do for God. You see what it means for be a priest offering up spiritual sacrifices? There's more we could say, but there you go. Grow up. Grow together. Our third purpose, the find in verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God's third purpose for us is to grow vocal. There's good news here for nobodies. The Apostle Paul says, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter, uh, chapter 1, he says, Not many of you were wise in the worldly standards. Not many of you were of noble birth. Not many of you were much of anything. When you look out in the world and you look at the great people of the world, most of us don't even make a blip on the scale. That was true then. It's still true today, isn't it? Even those, however, who make blips on the scale that everybody thinks, Oh, there's a great person. There's a great person. In the sight of God, they are nobodies. Because every one of them is just like you and me. They are sinners. Every one of them is lost and helpless and hopeless before a holy God. They are rebels against God and they are sinners, condemned sinners who live on this little ball that we think is a big thing that is in the little speck in this grand universe. None of us are anything but God. John 3.16, but God so loved the world. God so loved the world that He he cared about those rebellious, lost, helpless, hopeless specks on that little ball of earth. He cared so much that God sent His own Son. God became man to die to pay for our sins so that we could be saved from sin, have eternal life, become children of God, and on and on. Good news for nobodies. That whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And now, because of that, those of us who trust in Jesus Christ, we have an awesome identity. We are, it says here, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. You are God's people and you receive mercy. All of those things, those little verses, and we can say a lot about them, but we won't. What I will say is that we are a people with a purpose. And what is that purpose? What does it say? To proclaim God's excellencies. To proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. To declare those excellencies in praise and worship. We've talked about that already. Here in this life, and we will do it for the eternity to come. But there's more. You see, we're to declare these in witness to a lost world. May I say, I think that's His primary focus in that statement. 
Because from this moment on, in the rest of the letter, his attention shifts. And the letter is not really talking about who we are and the great blessings we've received anymore. The attention and the focus of the rest of this letter is, how do you live in the nitty-gritties of life in a hostile world in such a way that you point people to Jesus? And that is the theme, by the way, of this month here at the chapel. We need to be sharing the good news of Jesus with those around us and with those to the ends of the earth. What does God want us to do? What's His purpose for us? To grow up. To grow up in our knowledge of our salvation and our love for Him. To grow together in our love for one another and our service for Christ. And to to grow out, as it were, to grow vocal and sharing the good news of Jesus with the lost world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these things. It reminds us that we, we aren't just here accidentally. We aren't just some random product of evolution that just created, the, that just somehow these beings burst onto the scene. We have no, no real origin, no purpose, no, no destiny that matters too much. Rather, you created us, you made us in your image. We rebelled against you. We were sinners. You saved us through the blood of Christ. And you have given us life with a purpose. We can waste our time or we can invest it doing what you've called us to do. You've called us to grow up. You've called us to grow together. You've called us to grow vocal. Father, may we be faithful in those things so that in the end we will have had a life that truly counts for eternity. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.